American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time to When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. And I am Mark Dusbabic, former linebacker in the 80s for the Minnesota Vikings. Mark Dusbabic. I have replaced Joe. Uh, oh. He was a loser. He was a stupid idiot loser, and I've killed him. And okay. I've, I've, I've devoured his carcass, and now I am super Dusbabic. Mark, badass, flesh-eating Dusbabic. I don't know about that. Mark Dusbabic? No, I don't know about any of that. All right, I'm Joe. And Mark Dusbabic didn't eat me. And this is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, weird things that happened in the past. And yeah. We uh-huh. do it year by year. Year by year. And then sometimes each episode, we just can't get through a year. We keep going Lots on and on. Lots of those, yeah. And this is a, a continuation. We le- we left off the last episode. We were like, to be continued, because we had too much stuff. Yes. So we're finally going to wrap up 1978. That's right. And, and, and where did we leave off, we, Amy? We left, when we, when we left off, we were in the middle of John Wayne Gacy's story. Yeah, right. And so he, uh, I know he touched a dead guy's wiener or something. Yes. And uh, what else were it? He he's married now. He's yeah, got children. A he's a he's yeah. a JC. Mm. Um, yeah, he's that's right. he's doing that's all right. this stuff, and then he's also molesting his young employees at his chick, Kentucky Fried oh, Chickens right. that he manages. Yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is you know, that's don't right. trust any Kentucky Fried Chicken managers if you can help it. That's because definitely good advice. Their first child was, was a boy happy. born in 1967, okay. and the second child was a girl born a year later. Do we know their names? No. Gacy later. We don't? It's not public knowledge? Or you just May, I, I don't know if it's public knowledge You just or decided. Not, you made a choice to just leave them alone. Right. Gacy later described this time of his life as being nearly perfect. It was also the only time he finally gained any approval from his father. Wait, 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 wait. His father was like, hey, great job with those KFCs and, the, and all the raping of the children. Yeah, well, he didn't know about oh, that. Nobody didn't. knew about that. Okay. A common trait shared by many serial killers is their belief that they're smarter than everyone and that they'll never get caught. Really? Gacy fit that profile. With his above-average earnings and his social connections through the JCs, Gacy's ego and confidence level grew. Well, don't they... Oh, so they think that they'll never get caught, but don't they? Don't a lot of them want to get caught? It, sometimes at the said? end. Um, he became pushy and commanding and would often brag about accomplishments, most of which were transparent lies. Huh. The JC members, who were not into hookers and porn, began putting <laughs> a distance between themselves and Gacy, or Colonel, as he insisted on being called. <laughs> Wait, he's, they, because of the KFCs? Yeah. Like so he made, he insisted, people called call him the Colonel. Colonel. I got three KFCs. Yep. And uh, I think, I really, um, Dolores, I think we really need to split this. JC's group into two different the ones that are into hookers and porn then, yep, that's right. and then the, the non-hookers and porn JC groups can we just have separate meetings we'll just do it that way can we just have one JC's yeah. meeting where it's not hookers everywhere and porn being we can try it always ends that way but yeah. we can try Let's just have one meeting without the hooker can the hookers just stay in the car <laughs> Be, but in March 1968 Gacy's near perfect world quickly fell apart in August 1967, Gacy had hired 15-year-old Donald Voorhees to do odd jobs around his house. Donald Voorhees? This is the basis of uh, Friday the 13th. It might be. They, Donald met Gacy through his father, who was also in the Jaycees. All right. After nice. finishing his work, Gacy lured the teen to his basement with the promise of free beer and porn movies. Hey, hey, don't tell your dad, but um, I have this thing where I give local kids uh, free beer and porn. So Don't even pretend do to be a... Yeah, Pe- it's a not, pedophile. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> After I, well, I'm just trying to picture like what that conversation. Like, what it even? In what in what world would you decide? Oh, my dad's friend offered beer and porn in his basement, and I took him up on it. Yeah, like, that, think about that. Think about yeah. you being in high school. 
because these aren't little kids. These no, they're are high school. High schoolers. I can't picture any one of my friend's dads asking me like to come into the, his basement and look at porn with him and, and get free yeah. beer. Yeah. Like, I would be like, I barely even drink beer. I'm in high school, and no, I don't want to watch porn with you. Yeah. Like, who? There's not one. Not one dad. So, um, after Gacy supplied him with an abundance of alcohol, he forced him into having oral sex. Oh, gosh. This experience seemed to unplug any fears Gacy had about getting caught. Over the next several months, he sexually abused several teenage boys. He convinced some of them that a scientific research program that he was involved in was looking for participants, and they would be paid $50 for each session. Uh, he also used, That's prostitution, bro. Yeah. He also used blackmail as a way to force them into sexual submission. Blackmail? Oh, like he takes video? or no, Yeah, he no gets video. them hammered, and he does stuff, and he takes Maybe, pictures I'm tell or something. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, but in March 1968, it all came crashing down on Gacy. This is all in Iowa, right? Or Idaho? What's Chicago. No, you, they moved up. They moved. He moved back in with his mom. Oh, what about the KFCs and his wife? And the oh kids? no, no, no! You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, all this is in Waterloo, Waterloo Iowa, or Idaho. Yeah. I can't remember which, which? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Which, so which where? Waterloo, Iowa. I think. Did you say Iowa? Yeah, I already put that paper piece of paper down. <laughs> you can't quit hassling like, me. Well, you don't recall what you said. You're just reciting. No. You're just spitting up, up chucking. Stop! Words. Don't be mean. I'm not being mean. I'm just You're like being mean. I'm trying to find out where this was. Waterloo, happening. Iowa. Let's just say, who I'm cares? Getting, I'm Who getting gives interested a shit? in your story. Our listeners care. No. All you're, right. You're telling a good story. We just need to know. Okay. So I think it's Iowa. Voorhees told his father about the incident with Gacy in the basement, who immediately reported it to the police. Oh yeah, get uh, that motherfucker. Another 16-year-old victim also reported Gacy to the police. Ugh. Gacy was arrested and charged with oral sodomy of the 15-year-old and attempted assault of the other boy, charges he strongly denied. Let me ask you this. I don't know if it matters, but is is he putting his mouth on them, or is he I making them? I don't want to even think about it. I don't know, and I don't want to know. I just, like, don't... I guess it doesn't Why would you want to even think about that part of it? I just don't understand. Like, As his defense, Gacy said that the accusations were a lie by Voorhees' father, who was trying to sabotage his efforts to become president of the Iowa JCs. Iowa. There we Some go. of his JC friends believed it was possible. However, despite his protest, Gacy was indicted on the sodomy charges. In an effort to intimidate Voorhees and keep him from testifying, Gacy paid an employee... 18-year-old Russell Schroeder, $300 to beat up the teenager and warn him against showing up in court. Oh, man. But Voorhees went straight to the police, who then arrested Schroeder. He promptly admitted his guilt and Gacy's involvement to the police. Gacy yeah. was charged with conspiracy assault. By the time it was over, Gacy pled guilty to sodomy and received a 10-year sentence. <sighs> 10 years for, for sodomy. sodomy. On December But 20- it's not... It doesn't seem to be that it's children against their consent. What? That's not what sodomy is. Like, Sodomy's no, sodomy is um, like oral or anal copulation. Right. But he's not arrested. Like, nobody cares that he's forcing children oh, to do anything. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They're, they're arresting him for a, like, like for a gay, butt sex. Like, yeah, it's a gay, like, it's, it's a, a gay law. It's a gay hate law yeah. that he's busted for. Not Nobody cares that he's forcing yeah. children to do something. Yeah, it should have been rape. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, the 70s were fucking weird. They were. They just let everything go. Like, what the hell? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's crazy. On December 27th, 1969, Gacy's father died of cirrhosis of the liver. Good riddance. The that news hit sucked. Gacy hard, but despite his obvious poor emotional state, the prison officials denied his request to attend his father's funeral. Gacy did everything right in prison. He earned his high school degree and took his position as head cook seriously. And he joined the JC's chapter. Yeah, the prison JC's. <laughs> his good behavior paid off. In October 1971, after completing just two years of his sentence, he was released and placed on probation for 12 months. Two years? What, yeah. I mean, then again, what he was in for wasn't what he did wrong. <laughs> like, such a dumb... But, but a 10-year sentence, you're done in two. Yeah. Maryland, yeah, but he didn't murder anybody, and they didn't even put him away for rape. They probably didn't even have that in the paperwork. Yeah. Mar- probably like, oh, he sucked a dick. Maryland filed for divorce while Gacy was in prison. He was so angered by the divorce that he told her that she and the two children were dead to him, vowing never to see them again. Uh, With nothing to return to in Waterloo, Gacy moved back to Chicago. This is when I was getting confused. Now he moved back to Chicago. To begin rebuilding his life. He moved in with his mother and got a job working as a cook and then worked for a construction contractor. Well, he had all that experience with the KFCs. Gacy later bought a home 30 miles outside of Chicago in Des Plaines, Illinois. 
the planes. Isn't it dust planes? I think they say dust planes, but shouldn't it be the planes? It should be, but I think it's dust planes. Gacy and his mother lived in the house, which was part of the t- the terms of Gacy's probation. He's got to live with his mom. Mm-hmm. In early February 1971, Gacy lured a teenage boy to his home and tried to rape him, but the boy escaped and went to the police. Good thing. Gacy was charged with sexual assault, but the charges were dropped when the teen did not show up in court. What? Word of his arrest never got back to his parole officer. How? Yeah, I know. Shoddy police work. That's right. Then, Everybody take a drink every time there's a shoddy police work. Then on January 2nd, 1972. Oh, you mean the same day that uh, Mariner 9 begins mapping Mars? What? Mariner 9 began mapping Mars. We began. Oh, okay. Uh, and the same day. That beloved film legend James Stewart made his much-anticipated, highly-publicized series TV debut in a domestic comedy about the frequently chaotic home and professional lives of a small-town college professor. I never knew that happened. Jimmy Stewart had his own sitcom. I didn't know that. That's weird. Jimmy Stewart show. So on that day, Timothy Jack McCoy, age 16, was planning on sleeping at the bus terminal in Chicago. His next bus wasn't scheduled until the following day. And he said, well, I will just have somebody tell me about the Jimmy Stewart show. Yes. But when Gacy approached him and offered to give him a tour of the city, plus let him sleep at his house, McCoy took him up on it. On oh, it. are you kidding me? A tour of the city from this fat guy that I've never met? And then I get to go to his house and then maybe watch porn in his basement? According to Gacy's account, he awoke the following morning and saw McCoy standing with a knife at his bedroom door. Gacy thought the teen intended to kill him, so he charged the boy and got control of the knife. Gacy then stabbed the teen to death. Afterward, he realized he had mistaken McCoy's intentions. The teen had a knife because he was preparing breakfast and had gone to Gacy's room to wake him up. I don't believe any of that. Although Gacy had not planned to kill McCoy when he brought him home, he couldn't dismiss the fact that he had become sexually aroused to the point of orgasm during the kill. So he loved the killing. He got yeah. off on that even yeah. more than all the other, yeah, ugh, right. the rape. In fact, the killing was the most intense sexual pleasure he had ever felt. Oh, my God. Goodness. Timothy Jack McCoy. (laughs) 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 Timothy Jack McCoy was the first of many to be buried in the crawl space under Gacy's house. Oh, man. The crawl space. And this is the... His mom still lives there, right? Yeah. Yep. On July 1st, 1972... Oh, you mean the same day that the first gay public march in England took place? Oh, that's awesome. The first gay pride... Public yeah. march in England takes place, and the and the same day the new Dick Van Dyke show had reruns on. Okay, <laughs> it was the summer. This is a rerun. So, uh, Gacy yeah. married a high school sweetheart, Carol Hoff. Oh, Carol. She and her two daughters from a previous marriage moved into Gacy's home. That sounds like a solid decision. Carol was aware of why Gacy had spent time in prison, but he had downplayed the charges and convinced her that he had changed his ways. Yeah, I don't. I barely ever put uh, teenage wieners in my mouth anymore. Within weeks of being married, Gacy was arrested and charged with sexual assault after a teen male accused him of impersonating a police officer to get him into his car, then forcing him to engage in oral sex. Again, the charges were dropped, this time because the victim had tried to blackmail Gacy. Oh. In the meantime, as Gacy added more bodies in the crawl space under his house, a horrible stench began to fill the air. So he's just killing more people, kids. So you're saying one one of the kids, he got off because the kid was like, hey, yeah. Trying to distort him or something. Yeah. Give me money, I'm going to tell you or something. Yeah. And that, that made it even? Yeah. That's crazy. It got um, it got to be so bad that the neighbors began to insist that Gacy find a solution to get rid of the odor. So they're just all bitching about the odor. Dude, your house stinks. I don't know what it is. God, You're, get rid of that. Dude, What's going yeah, on? Yeah, we're cool with you uh, blowing a bunch of uh, teenagers and then murdering them, but just get rid of the he smell. He would tell him it was the moisture. That's oh, what he would always tell moisture. his wife. It's just moisture in the house. Yeah, it's just the moisture. The smell of rotting corpses. Yeah, what did his wife and her daughters think? Yeah, isn't that awful? What is that smell? In 1974... How did they not find it? Gacy left his construction job and started a contracting business called Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance. Oh, it's a good title. Snappy title. PDM Contractors. Oh, that doesn't sound as good. Gacy told friends that one way he planned to keep his costs down was by hiring teenage boys, but Gacy saw it as another way to find teens to lure in his basement of horrors. And we won't have to we won't have to uh, file any taxes because I'll just murder them after I blow them. After they've been working for us. Yeah, and then I'll just take all their money back. So he began posting available jobs and then invited the applicants to his house on the pretext of talking to them about a job. Once the boys were inside his home, he would overpower them using various tricks. 
render them unconscious, and then begin his gruesome and sadistic torture and that almost always led to their death. I wonder what the tricks were. Like, hey. Well, he did, like, handcuff tricks. Uh, and Watch this. Watch my magic. Magic tricks, yeah. Uh, when he was... While he wasn't killing young men, Gacy spent time reestablishing himself as a good neighbor and a good community leader. Do you think he saw it? Or back to the magic tricks. Do you think, like, <laughs> are they, like, card tricks? Or is it like, hey, I'm going to saw you in half. Yeah. Uh, lay in this box. It could have been a little bit of both. Or that thing where you... Uh, so he, he worked tire, tirelessly. Anyway, he, was put his, his, had a good sta- he was bringing up a good stand in the community. Yeah, again, right? and he was he worked tirelessly on community projects. Had several neighborhood parties, developed close friendships with his next door neighbors, and became a familiar face dressed as Pogo the Clown at birthday parties and at children's hospitals. Meanwhile, his house still smells like dead yes. bodies? Yes. What the F? People liked John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. By day, he was a successful business owner and community do gooder, but by night, unknown to anyone but his victims, he was a sadistic killer on the loose. You know who I don't trust? Speaking of this, I don't trust any of those guys that. That fold up balloons. Well, the way balloon they animals. the way they describe him yeah. makes me feel like I could I could have in my lifetime known somebody like him. Oh yeah, like think about anybody you know who is who's really big in a charity. And, they're killing and, and murdering. I just people. think well, no, I'm thinking of like he he was such like a regular Joe that hey or Joe regular guy regular that, fella that I in my lifetime I could have totally been kind of friendly with somebody that was just that like him. seems like a, a community leader and all and that. just and like a do-gooder. Oh, he dresses up like a clown over here for the kids. He's a big party animal. Now, now his house does smell like rotting dead bodies. And yeah. He, he blew a couple of teenagers and, you know, murdered them. But other than that, he's fine. He's a great guy. So but in October 1975, Carol filed for divorce after Gacy admitted to her he was attracted to young men. Oh, Carol. She wasn't really, surprised Carol? by the news. Carol, that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back is not the stench months before on mother's day he had informed her that they would not be having any more sex together she was also bothered by all the gay porn magazines lying around (laughs) (laughs) and she could no longer ignore all the teenage males coming in and out of the house that's a good day to break that news mother's day i think you know i'm gonna do this on mother's day hey honey happy mother's day this is it there's no more sex for you you see all these gay porn mags yep that's why Having Carol out of his hair, Gacy focused on what really mattered to him most, keeping his do-gooder facade in the community so he could continue to achieve sexual gratification by raping and killing young boys. Nobody's looking for these people because it's the 70s. Right. Nobody gave a shit. They all were running away. Yeah, everybody anyway, ran away. Oh, they probably just ran just away. They're away. probably following Led Zeppelin. Yep. From 1976 to 1978, Gacy had managed to hide the bodies of 29 of his victims under his house. <laughs> 30 dead bodies under that house? But because of the lack of space and the odor, he dumped the bodies of his last four victims into the Des Moines River. There you go. You got to start doing that. You got to get rid of them. On December 11th, 1978. Oh, when, uh, oh, the same day that Mamoun Abdul Gayoum succeeded Ibrahim Nasir as the president of the Republic of Maldives. Nailed it. I actually did. <laughs> it's Maldives. It's the Maldives. No, it's Maldives. I'm pretty I looked, sure. I actually uh, looked online, and there's a pronunciation And thing they said right. Maldives? Maldives, yeah. He has since been reelected for six consecutive five-year terms. Mm-hmm. The same day as that, and the same time that on ABC, a nerdy student tries to win the approval of the gang by emulating Freddie Boom Boom Washington on Welcome Back, Cotter? Yes. That same day? The same day. Um, Maldives. 15-year-old Robert Peast went missing after leaving his job as a, at a pharmacy. He had told his mother and a co-worker that he was going to an interview with a construction contractor about a summer position. The contractor had been in the pharmacy earlier in the evening discussing a future remodel with the owner. Was the contractor dressed like a clown and yeah. asking to blow everybody? Yeah, out. When, <laughs> when Peace failed to return home, his parents contacted the police. The pharmacy owner told investigators the contractor was John Gacy, owner of PDM Contractors. When Gacy was contacted by the police, he admitted being in the pharmacy on the night the boy disappeared, but denied ever speaking to the teenager. And this contradicted what one of Peace's fellow employees had told investigators. So according to the employee, Peace was upset because he'd been turned down earlier in the evening when he'd asked for a raise. But when his shift ended, he was excited because the contractor that was remodeling the pharmacy agreed to meet with him that night to discuss a summer job. Huh. And Gacy's denying that he'd ever spoken to the boy raised all this suspicion. Yeah, I you know. I think 
But despite all of this, I think I believe John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> I think he didn't do it. Investigators ran a background check that revealed Gacy's past criminal record, including his conviction and prison time for sodomizing a minor. This information put Gacy on top of the list of possible suspects. Just go to his house, smell the house. On December 13th, 1978. The same day that the Susan B. Anthony dollar was the first coin to honor a woman was issued? Yes. Hold on one second. And the same day that Dick Clark's Live Wednesday was on NBC and on CBS, Florida Evans is called to work as a substitute driver for the school bus. Uh, because the regular drivers called off due to a snowstorm. And then Florida makes the rounds to pick up children, but then everyone has to abandon the bus when it gets stuck in the snow that, that same is, day? That same day. Florida Evans, y'all. A warrant to search the, to search Gacy's Somerdale Avenue home was granted. While investigators searched his home and cars, he was at the police station giving an oral and written statement about an his oral? activities at the pharmacy. Oh, on the just night. an oral statement. Disappeared. He's yes. not giving oral. Oh. At the police station. But when he learned that his house had been searched, he went into a fit of anger. I would get mad, too. The evidence my... collected at Gacy's house included a high school ring for the class of 1975 with the initials J.A.S. Uh, that's starting to get a little suspicious. Handcuffs. Yeah. Drugs and drug paraphernalia. Yeah, well, that's fine. Two driver's licenses that were not issued to Gacy. Yeah, that's not good. Child pornography. Oh, that's real bad. Police badges. But not in the 70s. That's not bad, apparently. Brooke Shields is I know. fucking on the main screen. Police badges. Yeah, that's not good. Guns and ammunition. That's a switchblade, a piece of stained carpet, hair fine. samples from Gacy's automobiles, yeah, store fine. receipts, and several items of teen-style clothing in sizes that would not fit Gacy. Well, yeah, he could have mannequins. That's fine. What about the goddamn stench? I know. Investigators also went down in the crawl space but did not discover anything. Are you fucking kidding me? And they me? left quickly due to the rancid odor. What <laughs> in hell? They attributed it to being Rookie a sewage problem. Rookie cop puking in the corner. What in the fuck? Although the search solidified suspicions that Gacy was likely an active pedophile, it did not turn up any evidence linking him to Peast. However, he was what? still their prime suspect. How in the fuck? Yep. What? You're fucking kidding me. Was there a movie about this? Is this Probably. What? I mean, Son of Sam was the other guy. Mm -hmm. How is there not a movie about this one? How the fuck do they yeah. not catch him? Two surveillance teams were assigned to watch Gacy 24 hours a day. Think about that, that when that wife finally laughed. Like, God damn, gay porn everywhere, that fucking smell of my yeah. house. She's living in that. I know. They got to smell like yeah. that. Oh, my God. What in the fuck? So the, investigation, the investigators continued to search for peace and continued interviewing his friends and coworkers, And they also began interviewing people who had contact with Gacy. Yeah, well, he, used to, he always loves to suck it around his neck and he smells terrible. What investigators learned was that Robert Peace was a good, family-oriented kid. John Gacy, on the other hand, had the makings of a monster. They also learned that Peace was not the first, but the fourth person who had disappeared after having contact with Gacy. Oh, shit. Meanwhile, Gacy seemed to be enjoying a game of cat and mouse with the surveillance team. More than once, he was able to sneak away from his house undetected. He also invited the team into his home and served them breakfast, and then he would joke about spending the rest of the day getting rid of the dead bodies. Oh, yeah. You know, like, at that point, They've been in your crawl space where you have 30 dead bodies yeah. and, and nothing happened. So at this point, I'd be cocky as hell, too. Yeah. Like, yo, come on, yeah. hang out, brothers. Let's have some breakfast because you're idiots. Eight days into the investigation, the lead detective went to Peace's home to bring his parents up to date. During the conversation, Mrs. Peace mentioned a conversation she had with one of the employees working on the night her son went missing. So the employee had told her, that she had borrowed her son's jacket when she went on her break and left a receipt in the jacket pocket. This was the same jacket her son had on when he left to go to the to talk to the contractor about a job and never returned. So if they can find that receipt in his house, because yes. that was one of the incriminating things you said. That, See, I listen. That same receipt was found in the evidence collected during the search of Gacy's house. I wonder what it was a receipt for. Further forensic tests were performed on receipt that proved that Gacy had been lying and that Peace had been in his home. Well, yeah, because there you go. Those closest to Gacy were interviewed by detectives on multiple occasions. Afterward, Gacy demanded they tell him everything that was said. This included the in-depth questioning of his employees regarding the crawl space under Gacy's home. Some of these employees admitted that Gacy had paid them to go down in specific areas of the crawl space to dig trenches. Wait, what? They they admitted uh, to the police some of a, a bunch of his the people employees. that worked there of his employees. Yeah. Okay. Gacy realized it was just a matter of time before the extent of his crimes would be exposed. 
He began to buckle under the pressure, and his bizarre his behavior turned bizarre. Turned bizarre. <laughs> turned. Let's just say more bizarre. Yeah. Um, on the morning of his arrest, Gacy was observed driving to the homes of his friends to tell them goodbye. He was seen taking pills and drinking mid-morning. He also talked about committing suicide and confessed to a few people that he had killed 30 people. Wow. What finally led to his arrest was a drug deal that Gacy orchestrated in full view of the surveillance team. They pulled Gacy over and placed him under arrest. While in police custody, Gacy was informed that a second search warrant of his home had been issued. The news brought on chest pains, and Gacy was taken to the hospital. He's a fat guy. In the meantime, the search of his house, particularly the crawl space, had begun. But the extent of what would be uncovered shocked even the most seasoned investigators. So now, so this time they... Found it. Yeah, even though they already did a uh, search of crawl yeah. space. They found the trenches or whatever that he built. Yep. Gacy was released from the hospital later that night and taken back into custody. Knowing that his game was up, he confessed to murdering Robert Peast. He also confessed to 32 additional murders starting in 1974 and hinted that the total could be as high as 45. Well, you know what? If nobody gives a shit about anybody in the 70s. Yep. During the confession, Gacy explained how he had restrained his victims by pretending to do a magic trick, which required that they put on handcuffs. Ah. He then stuffed socks or underwear into their mouths and, and used a board with chains, which he would place under their chests and wrap the chain around their neck, and he would choke them to death when, uh. while raping them. Oh, I know. God. Through dental and radiology records, 25 of the 33 bodies found were identified. In an effort to identify the remaining unknown victims, DNA tests were performed from 2011 to 2016. Really? Did they find anything new? No. Oh. Gacy went on trial on February 6, 1980. <laughs> oh, February 6, 1980. Uh, yes. Uh, that was uh, when Bob, Bob, that was Bob Marley Day in Rastafarianism. In okay. Jamaica and Ethiopia. Also, the day that Arnold is tired of being bullied at school, so he takes karate lessons in return of the gooch on oh. different strokes. Um, this is when Gacy went on trial for the murder of 33 young men. His defense lawyers tried to prove that Gacy was insane, but the jury of five women and seven men did not agree. After only two hours of deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, and Gacy was given the death sentence. He was? While on death row, Gacy continued to taunt authorities with different versions of his story about the murders in an attempt to stay alive. Once his appeals were exhausted, the execution date was set. John Gacy was executed by lethal injection on May 9th, 1994. Hold on. His last words were, kiss my ass. Oh, it's not as bad as the other guy's last words, Keith Moon's last words. But he was executed on the same day that mass murderer Joe, Joel Rifkind was oh, found yeah. guilty in New York. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of a coinky dink. Yeah, it's kind of weird. That's why I thought you were talking, that's who it was going to be. Yeah. But he was also killed at the same time that at their prom, Blossom and Vinny have a fight when she finds out that he has not told her that he was accepted into Princeton on Blossom. On Blossom. Yeah. Dumb Your show. favorite show. It's a stupid show. You don't know. Whoa. Joey Lawrence it's was so on bad. It. Whoa. It's such a bad Remember Joey show. Lawrence? Yes. Doesn't give me a break, I too? I do. Anyway, uh, that's gross and awful. Isn't that gross and awful? But he is dead. He's dead. And, but he has children yeah. out there. I bet they changed their name. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Let's Should we make it our quest? Let's start a new podcast where we just try to find John Wayne Gacy's Find family. all of those serial killers. All of their kids. family members? Well, because Ted Bundy's got one. And yeah. Eileen Warnos. Didn't oh, she give? We could. She did. She had a. We kid. could make a podcast with them all on it. Like it would just be the the <laughs> children the of these killers. Yeah, we have here. We have Silent Wardos' son. We have uh, <laughs> Ted uh, just, Bundy's kid. Yeah, Ted and Bundy's kid and John Wayne Gacy's children. Yeah, they can be anonymous if they still want to be anonymous. Yep, that sounds like a good idea, babe. Okay, so that's the end of the John Wayne Gacy thing. That was good. Good job. Yep. But let's continue now. And then on Saturday, November 18th, uh, Saturday, November 18th, the expression drinking the Kool-Aid is a reference to a 1978 mass suicide. Oh, yes. In which over 900 members of the People's Temple, a religious cult led by Jim Jones, drank a cyanide-laced beverage together. Yes. The drink in question was actually Flavor-Aid, though, not Kool-Aid. Yes, that's right. Wah, wah, wah. And they And a lot of them were forced to do it, too. A really? Lot, yeah. They, they, they didn't want they to have, drink They it? actually have audio tapes of the... Of that night, and they what? they called them white nights, 
and he would practice it would be a white night and these sirens would go off and everybody would go to the temple and he would ha give them Kool-Aid, but it was always fa like fake. And then for the final one, when they really did it, he, he, he called them again and he gave it to the first couple people and then they died and everybody realized it was real and people were crying. And and you can hear it. it. Oh you can God. hear the whole thing. You can hear him talking. What? Like you can tell he doesn't have his dentures in anymore. Like he, oh and you no. can hear him talking and you can hear him like telling them, calm down, calm down. This is the best way to go, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see the Lord and all of this stuff, and um, yeah, and you can hear the whole entire thing, an audio recording of it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's fascinating, and you can hear like babies crying in the background, and oh no, um, they give the they give the Kool Aid to the babies too. Yep, everybody, they give them to the babies first, I think. <sighs> It'd be horrible if they waited last for the babies, and they'd be like, oh. Oh, darn it. That was a kink in the plan. I guess we should have given the babies not last because then the babies are just left. Oh. Uh, babies can't do it. It's, I don't know. But they started out. That He's brought the whole mood now. That so. cult started out as, a, as like a socialist. Like he, In the very, very beginning when he was in California, he actually had decent ideas like he was real anti-racist yeah and a lot of his a lot a lot of his followers were black people mm -hmm. and um he preached about this utopian society where black people and white people could live together in harmony and yeah, stuff and that's so where it should be in but the then beginning he takes it to this other yeah in the beginning and then he started getting all this power and it changed his he he got warped and then he started doing all these drugs yeah and he was and they all called him father that's weird. Yeah, it was. So you're saying all liberals are no basically the same as this guy? I no, I didn't is say what that. You're saying the whole left wing is insane. He's Jim Jones? Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, I, th I think that's kind of what I took from what you said. Well, you're incorrect. Saturday, November 25th, according to UltimateClassicRock.com, yeah, at a 1977 Aerosmith concert in Philadelphia, a fan threw an M80 at the band. Oh, my God. Which exploded and prematurely ended the concert. Jeez, why would they do that? So th that was at a 1977 concert. Yeah. Okay. And uh, guitarist Brad Whitford told Goldmine, we're going to go back up on stage to do the encore. I was going to go up the stairs right behind Stephen and Joe, and I felt the concussion, concussion of the cherry bomb going off. Stephen immediately covered his face, and there was blood shooting up out of Joe's arm, literally. So oh, pretty man. quickly we got ourselves to the ER. I have to say we were shaken by it and extremely pissed off. Whitford added we had we had a few offers to come back, so we passed on it. Eventually, of course, Aerosmith did return to the scene of the crime. Mm -hmm. But a little more than a year later, on November twenty fifth, nineteen seventy eight, mm -hmm. Tyler was once again injured on stage at a Philadelphia show. Five songs into a sold out show, someone threw a beer bottle from the balcony, Whitford recalled in Aerosmith's Walk This Way autobiography. Yeah. It hit the stage dead center right in front of the monitor and exploded, sending shards of glass into Stephen's face. Jeez. I think some glass went right through his mouth. That's it. Backstage, Stephen's holding a towel to his bloody face, and he wants to go back on. Wait. Yeah. The vote was four to one against, and we were in the limos two minutes later. F this. When Aerosmith returned to Philadelphia in 1978, through Sorry, the incident reportedly burned Tyler's cornea, ruptured an artery in Perry's hand, and forced the band off the road for a while. Understandably wow. angry, Aerosmith declined offers to return to the city of brotherly love for a while. I would say Philadelphia is a Philadelphia, horrible place. Well, and the fans like I mean, it's not a horrible place. I don't know. The sports fans. The fans. Are oh crazy. my God! They throw batteries. Oh yeah. Like diesel batteries. Somebody and, beat the crap out of a horse yeah. when they won the Super Bowl. I think. Um, so I can imagine they it's beat the up same Santa thing Claus. Like they throw snowballs at Santa yeah, Claus. Yeah, they did. Like, they, I, I've they, heard, I mean, they're heard just about known that too. for just being like total ridiculous. assholes. Yeah. And and I guess in a concert, it's the same kind of thing as the a same sports. Like, thing. I guess if you're that kind of people and you're somebody stole the mascot head one time. The, of what? Of the, the Eagles? The Phillies? The Phillies. The uh, Philly, which uh, one has the weird mascot? It's the Phillies. It's the yeah. Oh, what's it called? The Philly. It's like the Capital City Goofball. Yeah, or something. something like that. I can't remember what yeah. its name is, but uh, but somebody stole the head. And yeah, Philadelphia is famous for crazy mob. Yeah, people. It's really. It's really Shut up! That's Turn fine. The 
Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Philadelphia fans. I've just never been there. I can't say. Yeah. Uh, but I was an Eagles fan for a little bit when I was a kid. And I liked Rocky. So there you go. There you go. There you go. I, gave him a, I threw him a bone. There we go. And then Monday, November 27th. Uh, 1978, Dan White, former San Francisco police oh. officer and firefighter, assassinated yeah. Mayor George Moscone mm-hmm. and Supervisor Har- Harvey Milk. Yep. That's uh, right. Did you know that he used the Twinkie defense? Oh, I, he- I think I did hear that, that 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 chemicals in the junk food made him yeah, crazy. Yeah, he said something. that uh, he suffered diminished capacity as a result of his depression. His change in diet from healthful food to Twinkies and other sugary foods was said to be a symptom of depression. Contrary to common belief, White's attorney, attorneys did not argue that Twinkies were the cause of White's action, but that their consumption was symptomatic of his underlying depression. White was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. Yeah. And Harvey Milk was a great guy. That It was a, yeah. a, it was a loss. It sure. really was. Yeah, he was amazing. There's that movie uh, starring uh, Sean, Penn. Sean Penn. That's right. Um This is going to be terrible. Oh, God. December 2nd, 1978, Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond. Oh, you don't bring me flowers anymore. Yep. You don't sing me love songs. I didn't know this was Neil Diamond. Yeah, I guess and I didn't. Bar- and now you do. Oh, God, yeah, you, you do. You totally <laughs> do. That's his voice for Actually, sure. I don't think I ever knew who sang this. I don't really... Like, I know you the remember song. the song, right? I remember the song that... And people always sing this. Yeah. This was written by Neil Diamond with All Alan. of our gay fans are right now are so <laughs> mad at you. And they're loving this. They're like, shut up so we can listen. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk through the whole thing. Let's play the whole thing in its entirety and, and don't talk. And they go to a gay club. Go to the manhole. Yep. The, the song was written by Neil Diamond and Alan and Marilyn Bergman for the ill-fated daily TV sitcom All That Glitters. Yeah. Um, it was intended to be the theme song, but Norman Lear, the show's creator, changed the concept of the show, mm-hmm. and the song was no longer appropriate. Diamond then expanded the track from 45 seconds to 3 minutes and 17 seconds. Jesus. Adding it's instrumental long, sections and another verse. This song. The Bergmans contributed to the song's lyrics. All in, right. In 1977. It's a, early in 1978, Barbara Streisand covered the song on her album, Songbird. These solo recordings were famously spliced together by different radio stations, creating unofficial duets. The success of which led to the studio bringing the two performers together for an official duet recording. There you go. So did you know that? These were separate, so somebody just spliced the two in. They didn't really, it really wasn't a duet. I didn't know that. We're almost done here. Friday, December 8th, 1978, the Best Picture winner was released for that year called, Yeah. do you know what it is? Uh, An in-depth examination of the ways in which U.S. Vietnam War impacts and disrupts the lives of people in a small industrial town in Pennsylvania, starring Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, John Cazale. Oh, Deer Hunter. How you say it? Right? Yep. Deer yeah. Hunter. Yeah. Christopher Walken achieved the withdrawn, hollow look of his character by consuming nothing but water, rice, and bananas. Jeez. Co-writer and director Michael Cimino convinced Christopher Walken to spit in Robert De Niro's face. When Walken actually did it, De Niro was completely shocked, as evidenced by his reaction. In fact, De Niro was so furious about it, he nearly left the set. Simino later said of Walken, he's got courage. Yeah. Simino. C-I-M-I-N-O, is that how you say it? What is it? C-I-M-I-N-O. Simino? Simino? Maybe. Whatever. Sue me. Who cares? Yeah. Christopher Walken. This is a safe place, honey. You don't have to worry about mispronunciation. Yeah, nobody cares what I do. Nobody's even listening except yeah. Mitch. Except Audrey. Saturday, December 9th, 1978. Oh, we got another number one song on the Billboard chart. You're going to love this one. Oh, Le Freak. Yes. Freak. Say Chic. By Chic. By song Chic. by an American R&B yep. band, Chic. It was the band's third single and the first Billboard Hot 100 R&B number one song. Along with the tracks I Want Your Love and Chic Cheer, the Freak scored number one on the disco charts for seven weeks. That's a good song. Freak Billboard out. Magazine ranked it as the number three song for 1979. The song was ranked number 21 on Billboard Magazine's top 100 songs of the first 55 years of the Hot 100 chart. Okay. 
It was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Con- Congress as being culturally, historically, or artistically significant. Did it? Was it? Yep. Well, and this carries cool. us all the way through to 1979. Oh, nice. This is the last one of the of the year. It's pretty funky. Oh, yeah. Let's get down to this. Come on, take a break. Take a break. Come on. All right. All our gay podcast listeners, get down. Now all the straight oh, ones. Now the gays and the straights yeah, together. Now all the minorities. <laughs> and now all the stupid crappy white people. <laughs> all right, what's next? Not not all white people are stupid and crappy. Well, we're white people, so. <sighs> I hate to admit that, but. Yeah, you know it now. Uh, no, we don't have to. Let's me. not. No, come on. <laughs> they haven't given us any money. In fact, I think they're wrong. Friday, December 15th, 1978, the number two highest grossing movie came out. Okay. Before the casting of Christopher Reeve oh, as the main Superman. character in this film. Yep. Burt Reynolds, Sylvester Stallone, Burt James Caan, Christopher Walken, Nick Nolte, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Bruce Jenner were all potentials for Bruce the part. Bruce Jenner? Yeah. And Nick Nolte. Those are, that's pretty funny. Bruce Jenner looked like the Incredible Hulk, though, back then. What? He looked like Lou Ferrigno, or he looked like Pete Bruce Rose. Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner. He looked no. like Pete Rose. Like he was, uh, he was built, but he was like ugly as hell. Yeah, yeah, you know, he like, wasn't. He looked like he somebody turned into him. I thought actor Marlon Brando was paid three point seven million dollars and a percentage of the profits for twelve shooting days playing Jor El, Superman's father. That's right. Uh, I forgot that he was in it. Ten minutes of screen time. He earned $14 million. Oh, my God. Uh, and then Wednesday, December 20th, 1978, the number four top grossing song uh, movie, uh, the number four top grossing movie was released. Okay. By Warner Brothers. The San Fernando Valley Adventures of a Trucker Turned Prize Fighter, Phil Beto, and his pet orangutan, Clyde. Is it any starring, which way but loose? So, yep. Every which way but loose. Every which way but loose. Clint Eastwood, Sandra Locke, Jeffrey Lewis. According to the book Clint Eastwood, Hollywood's Loner, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most uh, Eastwood called Clyde the orangutan, mm-hmm. one of the most natural actors I ever worked with. But you had to get him on the first tape because his boredom level was very limited. Yeah, his attention span was probably a gnat. Yeah. This, this was the first film to have an opening weekend of $10 million or more. After adjustment for inflation, this is the biggest hit of Clint Eastwood's career. Imagine having a train... An orangutan to do all those tricks like that must yeah. be. I mean, I uh, I saw the, I saw this movie as a kid a whole bunch of times for some reason. It must have been yeah, on TV, on TV a all lot, the time. Probably. Um, but I I th- was on for a long time, probably until I was like maybe in college, mm-hmm. maybe high school. I was under the impression that all of Clint Eastwood's movies were with a, a monkey. The monkey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just remember him in that truck. And, yeah. But there was another movie with a, a trucker and a monkey. Like, I think one of the band, uh, Smoking the Bandits had that, too. Uh, I don't know. So I just assumed all truckers had monkeys, too. <laughs> <laughs> you had to have a monkey. Wouldn't that truck. be a great world? It should be. That would be a wonderful Every world. Every trucker should be forced to have a monkey. Where's your monkey? Uh, I'm sorry, sir. You know why I pulled you over? No. Am I hauling too much weight? No, I didn't see a monkey. Where's your monkey? Yeah. You have your monkey registered? That'd be great. Yep. Um, Manus, the, was the orangutan, was the one who was in the movie. He once got upset and grabbed Clint Eastwood while he was driving a truck. The ape's trainers were able to calm Manus down by speaking to him over the two-way radio. This is the third of six movies made by real-life couple Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke. Clint Eastwood's boxing coach for the film was Al Silvani, who used to train Jake LaMotta and had recently prepared Sylvester Stallone for Rocky. That's the other thing. This movie has a, a shirtless... I think it's got multiple shirtless box uh, punching scene like fights, mm-hmm. where it's just street fights and uh, Clint Eastwood has a shirt off and he's punching a guy in the face repeatedly. Oh, and I, why does he get a shirt off? I don't know, but I was also under the impression as a kid that <laughs> all fights had to be shirtless. Like, <laughs> like before you fight somebody, you, you take, take off your shirt. shirt. Yeah. So ever since I've done that, every time I fight yeah, anybody, I just, you just take your shirt off. Yeah. Even take, now. Yeah. Even when I get mad at somebody, I just take my shirt off and put my fists up. And it usually makes people walk away. It does. Or, or run away. Yeah. Clint Eastwood was advised to do the film on the heels of smoking the bandits runaway success at the box office. There we go. This was Clint Eastwood's first completely pure comedy feature film. Oh. And reportedly, Eastwood was nervous about doing a comedy, so he contact, 
contacted fellow movie star Burt Reynolds for advice. And Burt Reynolds said, <laughs> no. Call yourself Turd Ferguson. It's a funny name. Yeah. All right. First, I wanted to say that there was a Star Wars holiday special. Yes. This started B. Arthur. B. Arthur. B. Arthur was a bartender, it singing bartender. It introduced Jefferson Starship. Wait a minute. Why it didn't I have Art this? Art Carney, B. Arthur, and a Wookiee named Itchy. I'm so glad you had this because I don't know why I didn't find this. And it was awful. Oh, no. It was awful. It's, you can see it on YouTube still. It is the They spend way too much time with the Wookiees yeah. who don't speak any English yeah. and you have to just guess what they're doing. Like, it's awful. the worst, but B. Arthur, it's worth it alone for B. Arthur singing yes, as a bartender I in guess. a Star Wars bar. It's awful good. Awful good. I mean, it's not good. Kitsch. Kitsch but it's good. so kitsch. Like, it is the essence of my childhood. Like, yeah. You, know, you watch it, you can't be like, oh my God, it's just so. so it's 70s. terrible. It's the worst thing ever, but it's also. Is the it best. as bad as uh, Kiss Phantom of the Park? Oh, it's got to be way worse. Really? Although that's probably Or the Bee Gees, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, it's probably just in all that. But it's, it's in with those things. I mean, it's hard to watch the whole thing, but mm-hmm. you kind of have to. Art Carney is telling jokes and stuff, yeah. and it's like, but, you know, and but it's so, gosh, it just reminds me of childhood. Yeah. It's actually great. Bee Arthur is the best. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I should have mentioned this around when school came back in, Trapper Keepers were invented. Oh, in really? 1978. Oh, I yes. know that early. And, you know, and it Good was. Good job. Yeah. That was the big thing to get, I guess. Oh, thank you for school. saying that. I, um, I uh, still, uh, a good friend of mine named Jim, we still talk about the time he put my trapper keeper on top of the lockers. He was tall and I was short and I couldn't reach him. So I punched, oh. him. I punched him in the face. You punched him in the balls. I, um, I kicked him in the balls later on. So some of the toys. Speak and spell. Oh, I remember speak and spell. Yes. You can make it say bad words. Took, took that calculator know-how and put it into a phonics tool that children actually enjoyed. Yep. We hardly cared it was educational because it was futuristic. A and few we, years yeah. later, E.T. was using it to phone home. That's right. And, and every single kid liked it because you could make it say bad words. Yes. Until they took that feature out of it. But at the beginning, you could make it say yes. all kinds of stuff. F-U, F-U, F-U. You still do that with, with the kids' baby toys. <laughs> I do. Yes. The little yellow Lego man. The iconic Lego mini figurine brought some personality to the toy bricks in 1978. Okay. That same year, Lego launched its incredible castle set for the first time, too. Oh. Cabbage Patch Kids. Xavier Roberts made his first batch of Patch Kids in 1978, though back then they were called the Little People. I was saying, they didn't get big till later. The name change came four years later when Roberts licensed the doll to Coleco. Oh. Laser disc players. The Little People were the little... I know. Figurines, I, I know. Is that what but that's what he called from? them at first. Oh, but that wasn't the same thing. It wasn't the same okay. thing. Laser disc players. Did you say ColecoVision? Yeah. Of course, the first commercial laser disc player was called the MCA DiscoVision. Okay. My but brother had a ColecoVision. This was a laser disc player, not a ColecoVision. You said Coleco. No, Coleco is when is when Roberts licensed the Cabbage Patch Kids to. Oh, Keep sorry. Up with me now. Sorry, sorry. I'm slow. All right, Simon. The game yeah, Simon. Simon, Simon was launched. So annoying. Simon was actually launched at Studio 54 in New York City in 1978. I can see that. And it's like a disco-ish type thing. It retailed for $24.99, which is the equivalent of $91. Damn. Um, Simon was so hard and frustrating. I, I used to love that game, though. Um, I had it. It made me feel so dumb because I could only do it like two levels. And we, mm-hmm. God, I already forgot what they did. Damn it. You have the attention span beep, of a beep, nap, beep, too. Boop, beep, beep. What was it? Was it the green one? What the hell was that? I was uh, doing something else. Then Hungry Hungry Hippos. The game yeah. produced by Hasbro that yeah. pitted players against each other in a race to see whose hippo could eat the most yeah. marbles. Hungry Hungry Hippo in the history of America has never, never once, never once not ended in a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> Every single game of Hungry Hungry Hippo, someone gets hit at the end of it. Yeah. Because just whoever can, like, hit it, hit the boar fat, like, it just pisses everyone off. Calls, you want to fight somebody? Make them play. You want two people to fight? Make them play Hungry Hungry Hippos. Then... Superstar Barbie and the Barbie Superstar Stage Show. This was my first Barbie doll. Oh, God. Ba- Barbie's Superstar Stage Show is ideal for talent shows, fashion show, or award shows. Oh, Jesus. And I did not have the Superstar Stage Show, but I did have Superstar Barbie, and she was my first bar- Barbie. Oh, and man. it was all downhill from there. I had about 40 Barbies at some points in my life. It was all downhill from there? Downhill. Oh. Don't make fun of me. Remember we knew a guy named Don Hill? We'd say, yeah, it's there's all a downhill. street, there's a curb, and it's all downhill from there. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Connect anyway, Four. Anyway, I don't care about the Barbies. Connect Four. Connect Four. That was a very frustrating game. Now, that's a solved game. We talked about this. Mm. That's a solved game. Like, the the first player can always win. 
Oh, really? But That's like tic-tac-toe, kind of. Or tic-tac-toe always ends in a cat's game. Not always. It seems like a lot of times Maybe. it does. I don't know. Jaws game. Try to remove the objects yeah, using we your talked fish about gaff this. from the we, great white shark jaws' mouth before jaws snaps shut. Yeah, remember how we talked about this in last season, I think, because uh, it was still, must have been still around the 80s. must still running around. Because remember I said I got my wiener stuck in it? Oh, that's right. And yeah. my cousin had one. Yeah. <laughs> Merlin the Electronic Wizard. Yeah, Merlin. I remember that. Merlin the Electronic Wizard game machine. Play tic-tac-toe, music machine, magic square, and mind bender. Merlin was great. And it looked like a telephone, yep. like a red telephone. Yep. All right, this is the end of 1978. The 1978 is officially over in American Timelines world. That's right. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank Amy for bringing up the Star Wars Christmas special. I'm so bummed that I missed that and didn't realize it. I don't know why. That's all right. It was great. So thank you, Save the Day, by bringing that in there. B. Arthur singing. If you haven't seen this on YouTube, look immediately because it's so worth it just to see B. Arthur singing on Star Wars. Singing to a Wookiee or whatever it is. But it was great. And... The murders were good. We got all the big murders out of the way. We've done John Wayne Gacy. You, so We've you done, think. Oh, maybe we haven't. I don't know. It seems like yeah, Ted the big, Bundy. All they the, were all, all the heavy just, hitters yeah. are, are pretty much done. Not all of them. It was 1978 the biggest year for serial killers ever? Probably. Heard? 77, though, we had Son of Sam and the Hillside Stranglers. Oh, I thought they were 78. 78, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy. Okay, so the late 70s. And Jim Jones is kind of a serial killer, too, yeah, if you think about him. Shit. You're not making me like murderers anymore. Yeah, I'm not. No, I don't. Uh, I'm not enticing you. No, not going to be uh, well, subscribing to any some, true crime podcast. Maybe I'll be mixing it up a little bit in 1979. Oh, who knows? That's all. That's a little teaser, huh? Yeah, a little teaser for the next a episode. Mixing, a little mixing of it all a up. Mixing and matching, and oh shit! Oh my god! Here goes Chuck Berry. Oh, Chuck yep. Berry has broken he into is. our home again. He Get keeps checking our. He keeps installing uh, cameras in our bathrooms. Matt Truman, Ego Trip is the greatest in the world. All right. I love all of you. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. I'm going to take my shirt off and fist fight. is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.